Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. My voice has come back for a few moments here, but if it gets a little glitchy, I was in Morocco this week and the humidity did not agree with me. So um, I apologize in advance for any of that. Let's um, go ahead and jump um, right into, actually I'm going to pray for all of us and then we're going to jump into the word. So Father, I just thank you for every person that has chosen you this morning that's sitting here that you will have something for all of us, no matter what our relationship status is, that we will hear what it is that you have brought in the words this morning for each of us individually. In your name, amen. So um, in Hebrews, it says that faith enabled Moses to choose God's will, for although he was raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he refused to make that his identity. And that's from the Passion Translation. And so I just like that really resonated with me as I was searching because identity, we talk about it a lot here at Liberty, but identity is so just found, found, foundational to everything. And so when that, that verse there says, he refused to make that his identity, it actually reminded me of a story um, a few years ago where I was working as um, one of the leads for the federal government's response to the Deepwater Horizon oil spill. And my main job there was to put maps up on a screen kind of like this so that admirals and people like that would be able to make decisions. So one of these meetings got covered by a local newspaper, which happened to be my parents' local newspaper. And so my mom sent it to me and she's like, your name's in the newspaper. And I was like 31 years old and I'm like, mom, you still care about this stuff? Yes, she does. It was on the refrigerator when I got there at Christmas. Um, <laughs> but anyway, in the article, it said, Gary Sheets, Noah Scientist. And so as mom and I are talking about the article, I was like, who told him I was a NOAA scientist? And she was like, who do you think you are? And I was like, well, I mean, I work for NOAA, that's true. I have a science degree, that's true. But if you had said to me, Carrie, tell me about yourself, the words NOAA scientist would have never come out of my mouth. So because that's not an identity that I had chosen to make mine. It's something that would describe me, but it wasn't what I had made as my identity. And honestly, I would say for my life as a, as a single person, my entire life I've been single, um, I would also say that I would use it as a word to describe myself, but it is not part of what my core identity is. So that's... Um, what I, how I come through um, this morning to talk to you a little bit about this. One of the things that I'll say about, one of the scriptures I used to hate people would say to me, especially in my mid to late 20s was, oh, Paul says singleness is a blessing. <laughs> um, I have always wanted to be married. I still want to be married. That is not what I wanna hear from anyone. <laughs> but what I will say is that I have chosen to embrace opportunities that are easier while I'm single than would be if I waited. So for example, in my late 20s, I was presented with the opportunity, I was talking to my um, manager at the time, and he was like, Carrie, you've been taking a lot of training, why don't you actually apply to this program and get us to pay for your master's degree? I know everybody's dream, right? Your boss says, let us pay for your graduate degree. And I was like, ah. Oh but I really wanna be married. I really wanna have a boyfriend. But if I do this with school, then maybe it'll make me too busy and I won't be able to do that. So as any other decision that I make in life, I took it to God. And I actually said to him, hey, what about this whole relationship thing? And he was like, if I choose to give you that, you will know how to navigate it. And I was like, okay. So I got the master's degree, no relationship came. Um, 
But then a couple of years later, the job that actually allowed me to, or the, uh, the program that actually allowed me to do that job at Deepwater Horizon that I talked about in the story in the beginning was a leadership program, 18 months, in completely intense. They handed you what they basically said was a gold card and said, find a job in the agency, ask to do it, and they'll let you do it. Now, I had colleagues that were married. I had colleagues that were married with kids that did it, and they managed to make it work perfectly fine. But because I didn't have to, like, check with anyone else except for a few, like, serving opportunities that I'd been taking care of, I was able to hand off. I, that was all I had to check in with to be able to go to Seattle for six months or travel back and forth from Louisiana for two to three weeks at a time. Because, I, because of my characteristic of being single, I was available to do that. So all of that to say, if you're sitting here and you're single and you're like, oh, but I don't want to be single, but I am, but realize, okay, today I am single. What does that allow me to do that might be harder in the future if the opportunity came again? <clears throat> so, so that's on the positive side. Now there are also very specific things that that I find that I, I struggle with as a single person. I'm constantly having to guard myself against selfishness and loneliness. Um, and you may say selfishness, like I had a friend that was living alone and I was still in the point of life where I needed a roommate to be able to afford rent and, or I could afford rent and live alone and not eat, but you know, that's not really a method for like being able to actually live. So I was talking to a friend who had gotten to the stage where he was living for his, alone for the first time in his life. And he was like, they called me Drez. I'll tell that story at some other point. But he was like, Drez, it makes you selfish to live alone. And I was like, Dean, that is the craziest thing I ever thought of. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. You're living alone. How can you be selfish? Till fast forward about four years, I'm living alone. I had some friends come stay with me between houses. And guess what? They took showers at the same time as I did. The hot water heater couldn't handle it. They put the ketchup on the wrong shelf in the refrigerator. <laughs> and that grated my nerves. And I was like, man, why am I such an irritated person? And Dean's words came back into my head. Drez, it makes you selfish. I'm like, I finally get it. So because we only have to concern ourselves with ourselves, it makes us not always be attuned to, to what other people need. Um, the other thing is like now, since I've been in the city, I work from home 90% of the time, which means I'm on conference calls a lot, but I don't actually have to look into other people's eyes during the week except for community group. And that makes you very lonely. So now I could afford to live alone, but I've chosen to live with a roommate because one, I need to consider her preferences in our space and keeps me from being as selfish. And two, I need, I need to be able to just have somebody that's, if I've had a bad day, is going to listen. Um, and, and for those of you, if you don't need, maybe you are actually in a dating relationship and the, your boyfriend or girlfriend may be able to fill that gap for you. Or for friends that have friends that are single that live alone, if they reach out and say, hey, I really need to get together for a drink, like, try to be there for them and if they can't like try to help them find somebody that can because it really it really is a critical point in the life of singleness um, so another thing is kind of in that same vein don't be afraid to talk about your stage in life like whether it's something you're enjoying because 
we all know the people that have the brand new relationships and we're like, yes, we know. They are the best person that you've ever met. Or the new baby. Yes, they are the cutest, most adorable baby we've ever seen. Well, you know, we still need to talk and hear the other things that maybe aren't so beautiful as well. And that also allows us to have community. And community is a core value for us here at Liberty. And, I, and as a single person, anybody that knows me knows that if you start talking about what part of culture do you love, they're going to say Carrie loves community. Don't get her started on community. But it's so, so important. Um, and singleness doesn't look the same for any of us, just like no two marriages look identical and no two careers look identical. But as we are able to chat with one another about our, our life, then we can learn to appreciate those similarities and those differences. And in that same thought of talking about it, talk, don't just, I mean, yes, we want to sharpen one another as believers, but it's also important to talk about our lives with friends that are not following Christ yet. And so that, that was another big revelation more recently for me in, the, in a life as a single, is that um, the Bible constantly tells us that we are to be in the world and not of the world. And specifically in Romans 12, 2, it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. That last one, think about it. His will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And I'm going to add back in for you. So that means what God is telling you about your stage in life, for me about being single, like for being, me about being single because I've entered covenant with him about my relationship status, one of the things he asked of me is that I don't engage in sex outside of marriage. But that's what he said to me. And especially my friends that are not following him, I can't expect them to live to that same standard because it's about his good and perfect will for me. And so as I've thought about that, and I actually have friends at work that we talk about dating lives or lack thereof fairly frequent, and several of them are on several apps. And so this comes up, I know it's come up in two previous messages in the series, but they get on these apps because they need a tune-up. Yes, they mean what you think they mean. Um, <clears throat> I'm trying to keep this a little bit rated, at least PG. Um, but I'm not going to sign up to the apps that I know that they go to specifically for that tune-up connection because that's the reputation of that app and that's not an act that I want to be associated with because the identity I've chosen is an identity in my relationship with Christ, not that I'm a single person. And so for me personally, when it comes to apps, I research why they started, what they're about, and what the general world thinks they're about. And I've been on and offline. And when I get offline, the, the profiles, they get uh, deactivated. Because of what happens if you don't deactivate a profile, it's still out there. And someone else sees you and thinks, oh, this person could be a connection for me. And then you aren't going to ever check that. And so then they feel rejected are unlovable. And so on that point of rejection, like so if you have a, an inactive profile out there that you haven't actually deactivated, please go home today and deactivate it out of respect for the other singles around you. Um, and then also to, on that 
note of rejection. Last year at She is Free, Havila made a statement, and I'm not going to get it quoted right for right. Havila Cunnington was one of our speakers, and she talked about a guy having broken up with her. And she was like devastated and beginning to start to want to believe the lies of, I'm not lovable, I'm not dateable. And God said, stop. It's not the person I had for you. So this rejection does not mean that you are not lovable or dateable. You are lovable, you are dateable. But this was my way of protecting you. So even in the moments of rejection, yes, it's hard. Call a friend. When I've dealt with heartbreak, I've called some girlfriends. We've eaten some ice cream, watched some sappy rom-coms, and then we move on. Um, but do what you need to do and then step into it and move on. Um, and then in the last few seconds here, for those of you that don't find the characteristic of single with you, we still want to be friends with you, not just for those girl nights when our heart's been broken. So if we invite you to a co-ed movie night, you and your significant other come um, because we actually get to learn from your relationships as well as it creates a safe space for us to maybe meet someone else that we could start dating. So thanks. Hey, come on, can we just thank Carrie? And uh, if I could get uh, the Hell Camps and the Lampkins, and if we could pull some of these, these chairs up here, that'd be awesome. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I've always um, admired about um, Carrie is, you know, a lot of you guys may not see what happens behind the scenes, um, but she keeps this thing running. And, um, but even more than that, it takes a lot of vulnerability to be able to come up on a platform like this and speak to a subject like that. And, um, and so Carrie, we honor you just for everything that you do, um, but especially for being able to be vulnerable. And I believe that uh, many people, um, including myself, are better because of the way that you love people, because of the way that you open up your life to people and for people to see Jesus in you. So thank you for that. All right, so now I get to uh, have a conversation with uh, these guys. Hey, uh, Tess, could you grab that other microphone and give it to E? And uh, we're going to talk about parenting. And I thought it'd be fun um, to show you some uh, childhood pictures of Tess and I. Uh, since we're talking about kids, I believe, we, um, I believe we have one. There's me. Look at that. Getting my diploma, y'all. Got my diploma. What else do we have? Yeah. So, uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm half Korean, and this is uh, my first birthday, and you wear a traditional garment called a hanbok, and uh, that's what I'm wearing right there, uh, which I look pretty cool. That's Tess. Look at Tess, y'all. Look at her matching flower hat, matching dress. Oh, it's adorable. And then, and then these are the kids of, of the people we have on the panel. Look at the twins. That is Xander and Cruz. I don't know which one is which. Uh, but Xander and Cruz, and then we have Raylan. Look at Raylan. And, uh, but the Hell Camps and the Lampkins are elders in our community, and, um, and I, I thought it would be great to just have a conversation with them about parenting, and especially in our world today, as people who are following Jesus um, in a world that honestly is, when you look at the news, 
every single day there's something crazy that happens in our world. And so how do you parent kids in the world that we live in today? How do you raise kids in the world that we live in today? And, and what factor does your relationship with Jesus play into that? And, um, and so I got asked some questions for them because I'm trying to learn too. Because when, when Devante comes, we'll be ready. And um, you guys got to admit it has a nice ring to it. Devante Carmichael, thank you. Um, but anyways, uh, what has been your favorite part about being parents? Not all at once. Well, firstly, this isn't on. Oh, there's a button. Oh, thanks, JR. Yeah, of course. Very nice. In time. In time. Um, oh, also, to buy, uh, we're all kind of uh, new parents, so we're still figuring this stuff out. We don't have the answers, um, but we're going to try to give you some anyway. Uh, that question is actually one of the harder questions, I feel, because, you know, picking out one thing that you know, you like about having a kid is, is pretty tough. But I would say because we're kind of early on in parenting, Raylan's uh, two years old, two and some change, uh, I think it's this idea of just experiencing everything for the first time mm. has been really exciting. And, you know, it starts, you know, at birth, but then each day, even still, like, we were wondering how, how her voice is going to sound. Like, mm. we get to experience that, you know, when she says names, when she starts walking. Like, all of these first, you know, there's always something exciting about something new. And uh, to me, that's the, the easy answer. Um, and then when she smiles at me is, is one thing that I love. And you get to see a little bit of Katie in her, which is really exciting, too, because I hope there's a lot of her in there and less of <laughs> me. But we'll see how that goes. This is not a good answer. And, and, and a lot of this stuff said, it's like, you know, there's a million things that you could say, but if you got to hone in on one, this is not a trick answer for me. One of my favorite things about kids so far is changing diapers. That's right. You have to get the crap out of the way, right? So that's a given. But there's a lot of mundane things that you have to do every day, you know? But it's interesting, like very early on, like I view changing diapers as, as uh, a moment or two where I have a captive audience with my child. Mm. He can't move. Well, he can. <laughs> when they try to play like wild bronco and like not get the diaper on, that's a different story. And then you're like pinning them down like by the neck, you know, it can get, a, can get a little wild. But that doesn't happen that much. But it's, you know, it's, it's in these moments that you think going into parenthood, like, oh, that's going to be terrible having to change diapers. But if you add it up all the times I changed my boy's diapers, those are beautiful moments. When you're looking at them, you get to sing to them, you get to laugh with them, tickle them, you know. So I just think that's an encouragement for people who are going to have kids that even the stuff that may not be mm. exciting are opportunities to connect with your child. That's good. What has been one of the biggest challenges you've experienced since becoming parents? I'll take this. Um, <laughs> I've been waiting for this one. Yeah. Well, one of the biggest challenges for us being parents is actually um, the frustration and uh, that comes between us two in our relationship. And Scott and I are pretty chill people, but I've discovered that we parent very differently. I'm really kind of like a sit back kind of type of mom and I'm always a few steps behind where Scott is very protective 
People have called me a helicopter dad, which I reject, but I'm working on it. Yeah, so it's like, so it's really frustrating when we're outside navigating new spaces and places and people. We just, we're different, you know, and we find ourselves always kind of like fighting a little bit in those moments, but um, we're still navigating that and trying to work that out. And part of it is realizing and respecting each other's parenting style and knowing that he is overprotective, that's how he is and that's how he shows love to his child. And I'm more free because that's, you know, the way I do it, but respecting that first and not like rejecting that from the other person and then kind of figuring out how we can respect that as well as um, just meet halfway and figure out a new rhythm in parenting them. So. Um, I think for, for me, um, one of the biggest challenges, and this is kind of more of like an overall, um, is raising a child that will um, share your same core values that Luke and I have as a family, like follow Jesus, you know, and thrive in community. Teaching that to your two-year-old or your kids so that then they can go out when their parents and teach that to their kids and their kids. Um, there is this great book, uh, Grace-Based Parenting, I can't think of the author right now, but one of the things that they say that I, I loved is um, with having kids is you're giving, you are handed a piece of history in advance and that um, the, you have the gracious gift of like sending them to a time that you'll never see. So I'll never see her great grandkids or grandkids, but how do I set her up so that she has the same core values that she could stand up and believe um, in Christ, in Jesus, and like stand up when she's two-year-old in her class, and they're like, where do dogs come from? And she can be like, God. Like, and they'll be like, well, that's not where I think they come from. But like, that's probably the most challenging, is like, how do you instill your values into this little person who then is going to go on and instill it to their kids, and then their kids, and then their kids? And I, and I think, too, uh, even thinking about... Um, the differences that Tess and I experienced and how our parents raised us and how we brought those things into our marriage and even seeing the dynamic that I'm sure that that brings into when you guys have kids, you guys most likely will parent them how you were parented by your parents, which I think is a little bit what to what E was speaking to. And, um, and so I, one of the questions that I want to ask is how do you go about raising or trying to raise a kid in our current world, given the access that we have to things such as media and entertainment, like I can access anything that I want on my phone right now. And for me as a, not a parent yet, but wanting to have little Devante, um, for me that's kind of scary because it's, you know, speaking to what Katie was talking about, I want to instill all of these values into Devante, but how do I, how do I go about doing that at the same time, understanding, you know, one of our, uh, some of our mentors told us, uh, Tess and I used to be student pastors in South Florida, and when we moved to New York, we had to leave those students, and that was really tough for us, and one of the things that one of our mentors said, who had four kids, he said, these kids are not mine, in the same way that those students are not biologically yours, they don't belong to you, they belong to God. But even my kids, I'm called to just steward their life. But at the end of the day, they belong to God. And so how do you guys, what are the conversations you guys have about 
raising your kids in the world that we live in, given everything that's happening, especially in a city like New York? That's a great question. And uh, Katie and I have this conversation all the time. And actually, I found a verse that I think kind of helps us navigate through that. It's, uh, it comes from uh, 2 Timothy. And just to give you some context, this is where Paul's writing to Timothy. And in this context, he's talking about uh, in the last days, and he's kind of ex explaining some of the troubling things that can happen, uh, which if you wanted to make a stretch, there's a lot of you know troubling things that are happening in New York, as you said. And you know, people are constantly trying to deceive you and things like this. And what he says is this. He says... He, he kind of goes through some of the, the bad things, and then in verse 14, he says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And here's the kicker. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that pretty much sums up our conversations we have. You know, our goal as parents is to equip them in the scripture because the scripture is absolute truth. And, you know, with, with what's going on, I mean, we just let, uh, we just put Raylan in daycare. And like Katie said, we don't know what they're going to be teaching her, um, but we know what we can instill values in her. And a lot of the things that we're starting to do even, you know, it says from infancy, so we have to start early, is kind of what we grew up with, with our parents, and what they did a lot of times was singing and just getting you into the word. You know, a lot of the, the Bible verses that I still remember come from these crazy kids songs that I learned, and so that's what we do with Raylan. We do, we have a routine at night where we pray, we ask her, we have conversations with her about her day, but then we're, we're sneaking these songs in, you know, with words. We're, we're telling her how she was created. We're uh, telling her that God created her. Um, oh, yeah, uh, recently, yeah, this is a good practical one, yeah. I, I won't sing the part. Uh, not only do I not have a great singing voice, but my voice, as you can tell, is uh, a little out. But so, you know, sometimes a lot of what we're doing as first-time parents is, you know, we haven't experienced things for the first time, so there's a lot of not knowing. And one of the things Raylan told us, because she's very vocal, uh, I don't know where she gets that from. Uh, she told us that uh, she was afraid of monsters. And, uh, you know, we believe that, you know, we do not fl uh, fight with flesh and blood, but uh, with principalities. And, you know, we don't want to uh, limit her on what she's seeing, but we want to empower her and equip her. And so we, we did this simple song where you pretty much just say, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And the song is Demons Will Have to Flee. So we just changed that to Monsters Will Have to Flee. And so she sings that now. And as, as, we're, as we're growing up, and at, you know, at night she'll, she'll say something and we'll be like, well, you know, what do you do? And she'll start singing it. And it's just these wow. little things. We've also started substituting other things in there, you know, uh, so that she can understand the power of Jesus' name. So it's just little things like wow. that really that I think, you know, we're still learning and we're still trying. But I think it's a start. And, you know, scripture is where it's at, and that's what we have to do. Um, that's good. So you told Raylan how she was created? <laughs> Already? God created her. Okay. All right. Wow. We've had the talk. She'll figure it out, yeah. Kids are smart. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> 
No, and then I'm thinking Salty the Songbook, too. Got to bust out those, those old tapes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's a great answer, uh, what, what Luke gave. Um, I think just, you know, maybe a different angle to it in terms of the question for us is uh, there's so much prayer that goes into your children. Um, and I'm not trying to be dramatic or, you know, I pray for my kids every day as if their lives depended on it. And, you know, that's kind of in response to how crazy the world is and everything that's going on. And prayer is something that um, I think Peter was sharing when he was up here that, you know, there are parts of prayer that we understand. There's parts that we don't just, you know, how prayer works. God answers some prayers, you know, some not every prayer gets answered. But I feel like every time we pray for our children, there's a covering that's placed over them. And I pray that it matters how fervently you pray for stuff. You know, that's kind of the part I don't understand. Like, well, how hard do you have to pray for something? I, I go after it for my kids, you know. And that's not only applicable to kids. It's everything in your life, you know, your job, your family, whatever. That if you care and love about something so much that you would take it to God every single day and pray for his hand on it. So that's how we, so far, without social media and yeah, stuff yeah, having to worry yeah. That's how we approach this crazy world with our kids. Uh, perfect segue there. Um, what has being a parent taught you guys about your own faith and your personal relationship with Jesus? <laughs> I'll take it. Um, it's actually, it's, it's challenged me um, to really act out what I believe um, I know it's true. Not necessarily, yes, we know we believe in Jesus, but it's, it's the little thing. So um, we put Ray in daycare. She's not doing that great. Um, she just still, she cries. She just, you know, she gets really scared. She doesn't know anybody. She hasn't made like a personal connection with teachers yet or friends. It'll happen, but it hasn't yet. Um, and so we keep telling her like, oh, you're going to be brave. You're going to be strong. Like, you know, Jesus is with you. He's in your heart. He's going to guide you. He's, you know, we're trying to teach her all these things. And um, I got challenged one night because I'm having some really bad trouble at work. Um, pretty much I hate my job and I hate going. And so parallel that with Ray, where she hates going to daycare. And so am I, like, I got challenged and I got checked by the Holy Spirit. It's like, well, you're teaching her these things. Like, do you believe these wow. things that wow. I'm going to be with you? I'm going to take care of you. Like, wow. you need to be strong. You need to be courageous. Are you really acting out and believing like these things that you're teaching your daughter and that's probably one of the most challenging things that kind of I got checked like okay this is this is real I need to act this out for her so like when she sees me she's like oh look mama can do it or dada can do it I can see them doing it that means I can do it The boys, we prayed a lot for them before they were born, so they're like our miracle story. And so for me, there's already a peace in my heart knowing that like um, there's a purpose and a future for them. And, um, and I've like learned to hold them lightly um, each day because it just helps me get through the day better when I can hold them lightly. But um, adding to what um, Katie is saying is that like, you also, um, you know, 
as as parents, you can see how flawed your love is um, and your grace and all and your selfishness. But then you see Jesus, and you know that He is perfect. So you know it's possible to love better. It's possible to be more gracious. It's possible to possible to be less selfish. And because I have Him as an example, then I can always try to push myself or like strive for that. Wow, that's really good. Uh, last question, really quick. Uh, what's one piece of advice you wish someone would have given to you before you had kids? One thing I wish I actually I wish I would have told myself before I had kids is that um, like my life is different and I always thought that oh before I have my kids when I have my kids they're just gonna go with me you know um, they're gonna go on my journey they're just gonna kind of like come along and that is kind of truth like that is truthful in some cases but um, your life does change a bit and I'm a person who has FOMO all the time and I'm spontaneous and I always like to say yes and go to things but um, actually, like, having these kids, it's been very hard to do a lot of things. It's been very hard to go to a lot of um, events or go out with friends. Um, for example, like, our boys, it takes two of us to put them down at night, and it's really hard to go anywhere before 8 p.m. And, like, that's just, for a while, I always felt really bad and guilty and just thought, like, why, why can't we as parents or why can't I as a mother, like, be able to do this when a lot of parents seem like they can just kind of, like, wing it? And I've learned that, like, this is a season for me. And it's a season where I have to say no to a lot of things. But to be okay with that and to just embrace what season I'm in. And it will change, you know, because it never stays constant. But to really be grateful and just know that, you know, I'm not missing. I am missing out, but I'm not missing out. Travel if you want to travel before you have kids. <laughs> That's a good idea. Um, one, I, I'm going to flip this, like one piece of advice that was actually given to me before I had kids that I still stick with, um, that was um, the perfect place to raise your kids is in the center of God's will. Um, so wherever you are, because um, for us, New York City, a lot of our parents were, um, they're not sure. They're like, oh, you're raising your kids in Brooklyn or you're like, aren't you going to move out to the suburbs? Like, of you know, no offense to that, but like. We're like, no, like Brooklyn is our home. And Paul Andrew actually said that um, at like a relationship series. He was like, the perfect place to raise your kids is in the center of God's will. So wherever God's will you are, wherever you are, wherever he has you, that's the perfect, he's going to give you the grace to raise your kids there or to go on that journey there with you. That's good. Uh, also, you will never sleep in again <laughs> in your entire life. <laughs> Sleep now. Like, even once the kids are, you know, if, if they're away or, you know, a grandparent or something has them, you're in that routine. You just get up. It's terrible. Um, so sleep. Sleep. Also, can we just give it up for these guys? The uh, worship team can come. Thank you, guys. And, um, you know, one of the things that I you know, love about what Tess and I get to do is because we don't have kids yet. Um, but for us, uh, right now, we love, you know, playing with other people's kids because we know we can give them back to them. And, uh, but we love every single kid that's a part of our church. And the reason that this is so fun for us is because we're not just 
you know, loving these kids, to love them because they're awesome. And, and every kid in our church is incredible. They're amazing. They're so much fun. Um, but we're learning. And even just by seeing uh, new parents in our church who are raising their kids, we're learning. And we're like, man, how did you guys do this? How did you guys do that? So that when Devante comes, we know what to do. And, and, and But even, you know, I think there are parents, uh, you know, in this room right now who've been parents for longer than the health camps and the Lampkins, and what you guys don't realize is maybe someone's not having a conversation with you, but they're watching you. And, and you know, one of, the, one of my favorite parts is when we get to dedicate babies. And one of the things that we say to you guys is, is it truly does take a village. It's not just a cool cliche saying, uh, but it truly does, and I believe that. And so uh, people, kids that are a part of our church, we get to be a part of their story that God's writing. And, um, and parents in the room of kids uh, who are a part of our church, thank you for allowing us to be a part of that story. Um, and thank you for the example that you guys set for Tess and I and for so many other people, whether you're single and you wanna have kids, I believe with all my heart that you, you notice things that parents do when you're here. And, um, and so I, to all the parents in the room, um, I just want to say thank you. Um, one of the things that has always been true in my life is people have told me that people that pour into you, uh, people that invest in your life, whether it's your parents or a mentor or a friend, whoever it is, you will never be able to say thank you enough. And so to all the parents in the room, maybe your kid can't say thank you yet. I want to say thank you to you for raising your kids in a city like New York, that can be crazy, but I firmly believe that this is exactly where God wants to raise them so that he can send them out to any place that he desires and they can shine his light. And so if you are a parent in the room, I just wanna pray over you um, as you continue to raise your kid. And so um, if you are a parent in the room, can I, can I just invite you to stand and even if your kids are adults, you're still parents. And, um, and as a church, um, I want to surround these people. Um, and so if you feel comfortable, if you could just extend your hand to uh, somebody that's standing. Um, and I just want us to pray.